there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. So let's get into the microalbumin case study. So this is Raul. He's 58 years old. He's here for follow-up diabetes, and this is not his real name. He um, hadn't been seen in about 18 months and was asking for refills over the phone a month prior. And I had advised him that he needed to come in. I gave him a month's worth of medications, and then I had him come, come in for a follow-up because I never met him before at my new clinic. And so um, he was asymptomatic at the time. He was actually kind of irritated that I asked him to come in, but safe care. So A1C, um, we have a point-of-care test, and so it was 10.8. Um, he's taking Humalog mix. It's Lispro protamine and Lispro insulin. And so that's a combination of the intermediate and the rapid acting. Um, he's taking 30 units a day, but previously he had been prescribed twice a day, 30 units. And he also had been prescribed a couple of other medications that he wasn't taking, um, metformin, uh, 1,000 milligrams twice a day, lisinopril, 5 milligrams daily, and then simvastatin, 10 milligrams. And so um, he has a past medical history of hypertension, diabetes, obesity, and hyperlipidemia. He has no past surgical history. He has a family history of diabetes. Um, luckily, he doesn't smoke. He doesn't drink alcohol or use drugs. Um, and his vitals are relatively stable at this visit. So 135 over 81 blood pressure, heart rate of 67, oxygen normal. Um, his BMI was 45 though. And he had a normal physical exam, heart, lungs, extremities um, in general. And a couple of things I wanted to add is that he right off the bat kind of was a little bit defensive about, you know what, I feel fine. I've previously have lost 40 pounds. I exercise five days a week. Um, I eat pretty well, that kind of stuff, even when his A1C was that high. So a little not that interested in hearing it, but plan for today, I'm going to be focusing on microalbumin and I'm touching the other components of care. So the labs I checked that day were a CBC, a CMP, lipids, and a urine microalbumin. And so results overall, the basic metabolic panel, the LFTs and the CBC were normal. Um, the glucose was one was 263. His lipids were elevated. Um, I'm going to be making a video about cholesterol interpretation for a future video, so I won't jump into that, but his lipids were high. And um, urine microalbumin, so the way that a urine microalbumin is reported, and you've probably seen this, is you're going to get the result of the creatinine, the microalbumin, and then the ratio of the two. And so creatinine and microalbumin by themselves, 77.3, 96.8, um, those were okay. Important note, though, is if you're looking at your own results, just be mindful that the milligrams per deciliter and the milligrams per liter are different units of measurement. And so sometimes that kind of throws people off. However, the moral of the story is that you're really looking at the microalbumin to creatinine ratio. His was 125. And there are three different kind of categories. And I'll jump more into this in the next slide. But normally, it's supposed to be less than 30. Microalbuminuria is considered to be anything above 30 to 299. And then anything above 300 is considered a macroalbuminuria or clinical microalbuminuria. So it just means a large amount of protein over 300. So what's the, what's the point of doing this? Um, so urine microalbumin is to assess the patient's renal status. So 
just kind of backing up for a second, your kidneys really shouldn't have protein, be letting protein get into the urine. And if there's protein in there, there's typically signs of damage. And so albumin, an acceptable amount of protein of albumin specifically in a day is less than 30 milligrams for the entire day. So more of that points to signs of renal impairment. And so this test in particular measures the ratio of excreted creatinine to excreted albumin. And so the gold standard for measuring how much protein your urine has is a 24-hour urine um, test where they just collect their 24 hours worth of urine and they submit it to the lab and then they, they test it, right? And they quantify it. That's not that feasible. So the test that they've, one of the tests that you have instead is a spot test. This is one of the spot tests. There's a couple, but um, what it's measuring is looking at a snapshot in time of your creatinine and a snapshot in time of what your albumin is and kind of extrapolating that to like what that total daily amount would be based on the ratio of those two things. Basically, creatinine is um, our body makes creatinine or creatine and uh, excreted as creatinine. And there's a relatively constant amount during the day. It doesn't really vary day to day, and it also is not reabsorbed by your kidneys. And so that's why we use it as a measure to assess renal function. And so when, you, when you're, you would expect a certain amount of creatinine to be in your urine at a certain point. So that's why you can kind of extrapolate it to the core total course of the entire day about approximately. There's some, there's some caveats to think about. But anyway, it's a spot test. And then the albumin, again, you're looking at the amount of albumin at that time comparing to the amount of creatinine that's in there. And then you can kind of extrapolate both of those to the total amount for the entire day. And it should be less than 30. And it's not in this patient's case. And so a um, couple notes about just terminology. So quote, microalbumin, I think is misleading for some people in terms of being a small, it's just actually a small amount of protein, not like tiny particles of protein, <laughs> which I don't love that name, which is probably why it's actually been updated that it's moderately increased albuminuria is like the new uh, acceptable term. And macroalbuminuria, macroalbumin, again, is not large amount, not large sizes of albumin or large sizes of protein. It's a large amount of protein. And that's actually, it's called severely increased albuminuria. The main differentiating point here is that when you do a urine dipstick, it becomes positive when it's macroalbumin. So little amounts, those tiny amounts, so that microalbumin that's slightly above normal does, is not detected by a urine dipstick. So that's why we have this separate test. You have trace amounts, one plus, two plus, three plus, and four plus that correlates with um, higher and higher amounts of protein in your urine. And four plus is really concerning. Just so you know, when going back to that, the range is greater than 300, you know, there's less than 30 30 to 299, and then greater than 300. Greater than 300 is that macroalbuminuria, which is detectable by dipstick. So if you're looking for protein that's not detectable on dipstick, that's like an early sign of renal impairment, again, macroalbuminuria. Um, the normal amount is less than 30. If you're looking for those early signs of renal damage, you're going to look for smaller amounts. And so this is reported, this is in the range of 30 to 300 or 30 to 299. And so one other important note I want to make is that you have two options for assessing this. You can send it out to the lab and they'll give you an actual number like you got for the patient um, in this example where it's 125. Or if you have the option, I don't have this, but if you have an option on your urine dipstick, the result may come back as quote 30 to 300, meaning that it's it could be 125, it could be 299, but like the urine dipstick machine can only determine that it's in that abnormal range, if that makes sense. So instead of 45, but if you want to get an actual number, then you can send it to the lab. 
So why are we doing this? So I've kind of said it a couple of times. We're looking for signs of renal impairment. It's an annual screening test for diabetes. It's a quality measure. If you have increased um, small amounts of protein, microalbuminuria, it increases your risk for it progressing to that macroalbuminuria, that high amounts of protein that's visible on dipstick. And the higher protein that you have in your urine, the worse prognosis that you have in terms of your renal impairment. Patients who have elevated microalbumins also have increased cardiovascular risk, and they also have increased long-term mortality. So you'll see some people doing this in patients who have elevated hyperten uh, high blood pressure and hypertension. There's not enough evidence to make it into a guideline in terms of like, we should test for it and give this treatment and it's, this treatment is effective, um, but you'll definitely see people doing that. There's some evidence, but so how are we doing this? It's just, again, it's a spot urine test. So you just do a, a, a random urine test during the day. There's not necessarily an ideal time. This actually was practice changing for me because I thought it was a one-time reading and then I realized that it's actually can be transiently um, elevated. So it's actually recommended to repeat about two times, two to three times over the course of a three to six month period. So it can be transient with exercise and fever. So a couple of caveats to think about for this test. So in terms of measuring creatinine, it's a constant amount, but if you're a bodybuilder and you have way more muscle mass than somebody who has a, like a cachectic body habitus and so the creatinine amount that's excreted during the day is going to be different because it comes from muscle. So, and also it doesn't really account for gender and race differences. And then the other thing to think about is that microalbumin is, is a specific screening test for diabetes. And I know if you're a new grad NP, if you're anything like me, you like to have these kind of like one, two, three, four algorithms where things are very clear. And yes, it is a test to screen for early signs of kidney uh, impairment and diabetes. However, you always have to keep that like healthy skepticism in the back of your mind, knowing that this is just a test to show for renal impairment. And there are other reasons why you can have that. It's not specific to diabetes, right? So likely if somebody has diabetes and hypertension is probably from that. That's most of the time in primary care when you see renal impairment is because of those kind of chronic conditions. However, you always want to look for it. And, the re and this is another reason, an important reason to repeat it in the next three to six months. You want to look at other causes. So if there's a rapid increase in the amount of protein, so if it was 125 today and then it was like 4,000 or something, it probably wouldn't be that high. That would be, anyway, it wouldn't be that high. But if it went from like 125 to like 500, that would be a significant increase. If their GFR had dropped, um, if they had resistant or, or unresponsive hypertension, like it was just really high and it wasn't responding to any medications, that those are all signs of, something else going wrong with the kidney. And then if they had other things in their urine sediment, so if you did a urinalysis on these patients and it showed other signs of renal impairment, again, we can get so much data from a urinalysis, um, but if they had blood, white blood cells, casts, things like that, again, that would point you in the direction of something wrong with the kidneys. And then symptoms of other diseases, right? So if somebody also has lupus, you want to think about like, is lupus going to be contributing other kinds of diseases that can contribute to that? So what do we do? So you have a high amount. Um, so what are you going to do to treat them? You're going to treat the underlying cause. And so that comes to most of the time, diabetes, hypertension, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and diabetes, um, this is practice changing for me as well, because I had initially thought that anybody with my uh, microalbumin elevations, a small amount of microalbumin in the urine um, should be on an ACE inhibitor. And really the evidence points to only patients who have hypertension and diabetes to prevent progression. There's less evidence for patients in diabetes without hypertension. You'll definitely see that, people prescribing that. But again, the data doesn't necessarily support it in terms of the research studies. And then another side note, there's a small amount of evidence that verapamil and diltiazem, those particular calcium channel blockers, can help prevent progression of the protein. And so if you are thinking about a secondary agent in somebody with diabetes and hypertension, 
thinking about if those are uh, applicable to them um, would be helpful. And then you want to, um, whenever you start an ACE inhibitor, you want to check the BUN, creatinine, and GFR about three weeks afterwards to make sure that there's not a more than a 30% increase in the creatinine, which can point to some other renal things going on. And then the other thing to think about is just lipid control, right? Because they have an increased cardiovascular um, morbidity. Um, when it comes to microalbumin, um, microalbuminuria. So you want to think about what is their cholesterol and do they need any uh, treatment for that? So four steps, this is just kind of a recap here. So number one is this transient, right? So more than likely this gentleman is not because he has an A1C persistently elevated over time. But anyway, we're going to repeat it. And there are other signs of renal disease going on just to make sure that this is not, we're just, we're not just assuming that it's diabetes, right? BUN, creatinine, GFR, do they have unresponsive hypertension? Do they have anything weird looking on their urinalysis? Number three, you want to control the cause, the diabetes, the hypertension, and then consider adding an ACE inhibitor if that's appropriate. So what's next? So going back to Raul, so we can proceed with management for him. Likely this is related to his diabetes and hypertension. You want to advise him on diabetes and hypertension control with medications. And then the next visit when he comes back in about three months, rechecking the microalbumin, considering rechecking a BUN, creatinine, and GFR just to make sure that it, there wasn't something progressive underlying that we were missing, right? Considering also doing a urinalysis, like a dip in the office to look at that for other signs of renal impairment. And then restart taking the ACE inhibitor. So his blood pressure actually is only borderline high. It's 135 over 81. And the new guidelines, depending on which uh, guidelines you're looking at, some of them are recommending under 130 over 80. So you could consider restarting it for him. And then further management, I recommended restarting a previous dose for his insulin because before it had worked and his A1C was lower. Um, and he also knows how to check his blood sugars. He knows the signs of hypo and hyperglycemia, um, as well as the metformin. And then again, consider restarting lisinopril, repeating it at the next appointment. And then lipid control. And actually, I said is torvastatin 20. And uh, I wrote a torvastatin 20. He actually would qualify for 40 or 80 because of his risk factors of diabetes, hypertension, things like that. So again, just final recap. So we called with the results over the phone um, and kind of further uh, talked about what that means. I advised him to come back in a month to talk about diabetes. He was not interested. But in our clinic, if anyone has an A1C over nine, we do monthly visits, even if we're not rechecking A1C, just to make sure we're on the same page about medications, blood sugar monitoring, things like that. But he said he would come back in three months. So it's kind of a harm reduction strategy. I'm, it's, as long as he comes back, I'm all right with that. He said he's going to restart checking his blood sugars and he's due for a physical exam. And so I could theoretically do a physical exam the next time he came in. However, I'm a little bit worried about losing this patient to follow up because he was not very interested in being at this visit and he was a little bit irritable about it. But I think hearing about the urine microalbumin was a little bit concerning for him. So he's a little bit more motivated, but we'll plan on doing a physical the next time because I really want to focus on the diabetes. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.